Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. Today, I'll be joined by Diana Gladney, and we're going to talk about how to create videos on YouTube. We're going to demystify the entire process. You're going to find it absolutely valuable. By the way, want to reach me? I'm at Stelzner on Instagram, or you can email podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com. And if you're new to this podcast, hit the subscribe button. We've got an amazing lineup of incredible experts coming your way. I was recently at Social Media Marketing World, and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at Social Media Examiner. The best of the best of the guests that you hear on the Social Media Marketing Podcast not only teach at our conference, but they're also part of our secret society called the Social Media Marketing Society. Each month, our top-tier guests who have been on my show are invited to train inside our society for an exclusive group of marketers who are just like you. The training is designed to help you go from being a passive consumer of content to a marketer who is in active learning mode. So if you're ready to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. Here's Michael's tip of the week. I am super excited to bring to you a brand new segment of this podcast that I hope to be able to do from this point forward, and it's going to be the tip of the week. And you heard the cool intro music. My plan is to come to you every week with a short one to maybe a couple of minutes tips with the things that I'm learning, the things that I'm excited about that will help you as a marketer and or an entrepreneur. My first tip is something exciting. If you are giving a presentation or a webinar, any kind of presentation, a cool tip is to take a photograph, whether it be a new photograph or a photograph from your archive and literally have the photograph fill the entire slide, 100% of it. I use Keynote, but I think you can do this with PowerPoint as well. You literally import the picture and you zoom it up so that you don't see anything but the photograph. And it's fine if, you know, if it's bigger than the screen, it will crop it automatically. And then what you can do is you can add some notes into the notes section when you give your presentation. For example, I'm looking at a picture that I took of my doorknob and it's got a do not disturb sign on it. And I'm going to tell everybody during this presentation to turn off their cell phone and shut down, 
everything on their computer and close their door so they can completely focus. I've got another picture of me when I was younger feeding my daughter, and I'm going to talk about what that time was like. And here's why this works. The reason why this is so valuable is it's almost like you're watching a slideshow. It's almost like you're watching B-roll on a video channel, which is basically instead of looking at the words that are typically on the screen, you're just seeing a visual and your mind is making sense out of the visual and you are adding context to the visual with the simple words that you're saying. It's so much more powerful than just reading bullets on the screen. And it allows people to really get enraptured, completely engaged in everything that you are saying. So the tip is to go ahead and give this a shot and let me know how it works. Thanks so much for listening. All right. With that, let's transition over to this week's interview with Diana Gladney. Helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Diana Gladney. If you don't know who Diana is, you need to know who she is. She is a YouTube expert and a video marketing coach and a consultant. She's the founder of Entree Woman TV, a YouTube channel designed to help entrepreneurs simplify the video creative process. She's also the host of the Video Simplified podcast. Diana, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Michael. I'm super pumped to be here. I'm excited to have you because what we're going to talk about today is a process to demystify or simplify the video creation. Um, scary thing that scares all of us, right? Yeah. <laughs> so before we go there, um, I would love to hear your story. How the heck did you get into YouTube? Start wherever you want to start. Okay. Um, it's always interesting that to answer this kind of a question because it'll surprise most people. I started on YouTube not ever to really start a YouTube channel. So, <laughs> um, I, you know, I started with wanting to work. At, I was working at my job, working at the bank, Fortune 100 company, you know, all the great things about having a great career and all that, that and whatever. Only problem was, you know, I'm moving along. And next thing I know, I get this sharp pain in my side and it just continues on for a really long time. And I couldn't figure out what the heck mm-hmm. uh, was going on. And I actually wind up starting my own business as a coaching consultant. And from there, my coach told me to get started in video. Wait, wait, hold on a second. We got to know what that sharp pain was. What, was it a real pain or are you talking like physically you were in pain? Oh, yeah. What happened? So I had to, I mean, if we jump back in time a little bit. So it's like I'm, I'm mid-career. Everything is going great. Uh, but none of YouTube actually would have happened had that pain ever started. Uh, wind up being, once I moved into my apartment, and it just wind up being this excruciating pain in my side. Uh, Goes fast forward 16 months every single day in excruciating pain. Turned out that I had endometriosis, endometriosis stage four endometriosis. And what is that exactly? Yeah, nobody knows this word. <laughs> not to get too detailed. Is it a cancer? No, it's not a cancer. It's but it is a disease where things that you're used to as far as your woman and your your reproductive systems and things like that. You have tissues and stuff that's going on that causes pain and a lot of blockage and a lot of issues in mm. other parts of the body that shouldn't be there. Ah, okay. So it's a, a big inflammatory issue as well. So anybody who has chronic illnesses uh, can probably relate to something like that. So you, you get this disease, which makes it hard for you to work at the bank. And then that leads to this other thing. What happened? Tell us more. 
Well, I just pushed through those next 16 months going to, you know, specialist after specialist. I'm considering and I'm thinking I'm, you know, again, working my career just before I even started my company. And I'm like, you know, what's the issue? Why can't they figure out what this is? Uh, you know, is this going to impact me working at my job? Finally, getting the position that I want, bonuses, opportunity, you name it. Um, again, like I said, finally, I got stage four endometriosis. And it was the p- pivotal point for me uh, was waking up from that surgery finding out I had almost died. Whoa. So, yeah, it's like, <laughs> you know, imagine being prime of your life, mid-20s, again, great career, all the things are going well, and then the shift happens. And so what got me launched into YouTube um, came out of that because I did not, like when I went back to work after surgery, I was a very different person. Um, I did not care as much about my job like that anymore. I cared about having a meaningful life and actually achieving what I'm here to do. And that wasn't to be a great coworker, a great aunt, make great peach cobblers, you know, (laughs) it it really changed me. And that got me started and launched in my business that introduced me to my coach that made me do my first video. And how long ago was that? This is June 2015 for the surgery and June 2016 when I did my first video. So we're talking about four years ago and then tell us more. What happened after that first video and lead us up to the present? Well, like most people think when you're a video person, you've always loved video being in front of the camera. I thought the selfie stick was stupid. I did not do (laughs) selfies at all. Uh, So to jump in front of the camera, let alone to do a video, completely freaked me out. But I didn't hire my business coach to remain the same either. And so he told me, if you want your business to succeed, then you need to be visible. The best way to do that is video. So I had to turn my phone on myself and make that first video. And tell us what you're doing now. Now I'm teaching video. (laughs) I help busy entrepreneurs simplify learning video. So that Diana back in 2016 that knew nothing about nothing dealing with video, I create content. So other entrepreneurs, whether you're starting your own company or maybe you're working for an entrepreneur that's trying to get started in video, really understand this YouTube thing so that you can amplify your business and brand using that little camera built into your phone. Now, there are some people working in the metaphorical bank right now, and they have a metaphorical pain in their side, and it's not endometriotic. I can't even say it. (laughs) It's not what you had, right? Mm -hmm. But it's metaphorical, right? Because maybe they are working the job for the man or woman, and they're just not loving their work, and they're maybe got their eye on on YouTube, and maybe they want to do something with it. And then there's some that work for you know the company, and like still know there's something amazing there. But for those that are like looking at what Diana has achieved, you know she's gone from someone who's a banker to someone who teaches people how to use YouTube in a matter of just years, and I think that's very very encouraging. So that's a great setup for um, my next question, which is, why do you think the way that we create YouTube videos is important? Because obviously along the way, you kind of learned that you can't just turn on the camera and hit record, right? There's more to it than that. (laughs) Talk to us a little bit. Absolutely. Like the way that we make a YouTube video is essentially the way that you're communicating. You would never speak English to somebody whose predominant, you know, speaking language is something totally different the communication is off and you never would understand each other. Now you're down to gestures and pointing at things to try to make it make sense. Video's the same way, even though we're all speaking the same language, but your videos need to speak the language to the viewer, the person that's searching 
for the content that makes that video relevant to them to begin with. So if your content being your videos aren't speaking their language, aren't addressing their primary pain points, your videos, they're not doing their good job that they should be doing with communicating whatever it is that you're teaching or wanting to express. And when we say language, what we're going to talk about today is there, and many of you have seen some videos on YouTube that are amazing and some that are not, right? So we're going to talk about a process that Diane is going to help simplify for us, right? Which what goes, which is the, you know, the language of good video on YouTube, right? Because people that watch YouTube, they know good video when they see it and they have expectations. So I would imagine, regardless of who your audience is, if you can begin to understand how to best create these kinds of videos that are speaking to that audience, then this process is somewhat universally applicable probably to anybody's audience. Is that fairly accurate? Oh, absolutely. Because here's the thing. Video is the universal language. And so it's the fastest way or the fastest medium to really communicate whatever it is that you're wanting to communicate. So the better we can actually dive into speaking that person's language, the better we can communicate what we have to offer, how we can help. And it just takes on a life of its own. Perfect. So let's dig into your process for creating great videos. Where do you want to start? Let's start with the technical side. I think that freaks people out the most. Go for it. Okay. So I have a process called the record to edit process. In this process, we're going to help you make videos in a very, very easy way, no matter what you have or what you're using, but in a way that makes sense. The record to edit is exactly just that, that first part being the record, where you can't record if you don't have the gear or the technology to do that. We'll be able to pull this off. It's very simple. You start with your phone, and it's not like a quote-unquote just use your phone like it'll do. Like Phones are incredible. They're amazing. I just had Google sent me out their new Pixel 4a, and the camera is just mind-blowing. So you've already invested in a camera, whether you believe it or not. Because you didn't spend $1,000 for (laughs) the new Gmail feature to send your emails even faster. Like you invested in a camera that was like the primary thing in the presentation. So we really only need to add on a couple of things to make this or start this journey or start this process into making videos. So not to dive too deep into like the gear and equipment, but you'll need lighting or at least be in front of a window. And you want a good microphone, whether it's kind of like a podcast kind of microphone like we're using uh, in this interview or if it's investing in something very small that can sit on top of your desk or whatever the case is. But you want something simple. These run about $12 to $24, nothing nothing special. Get you a nice lapel microphone so that you can be seen clearly and heard clearly. Now you move into this record to edit process. This is also going to include in the technology side of things, making sure that when you do these videos once, you find a setup that works, find it like, create a process of this is what not I'm not going to dive into jargon but this is what helps it look best so I'm well lit and well heard maybe it's something as simple as my audio levels need to be set at 67% loudness on my phone so that people can always hear me loudly and clearly we're talking about writing those processes down so you never have to think twice about what your stuff should be at to get a duplicatable and a regular and consistent, good looking video. So um, just to be clear, so many people listening right now are probably familiar with live video 
And they probably have experimented with going live on their phone, on Instagram, Facebook, dot, dot, dot. And what I'm hearing you say is that very same phone, no matter how new or imperfect it is, is sufficient enough for us to get started with this video process. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Absolutely. It's more than proficient and efficient at doing that simply because they're created for videos, really. So instead of holding it straight up and down like you would do for your Instagram live, all you're doing is turning that phone horizontal. And now you're unlocking features and things that aren't even available on any of these social media platforms simply by (laughs) switching the angle of your phone. Well, and we should probably for those of us that have been around a while, you know, there was a time where there wasn't two cameras on the phone, right? So mm-hmm. the fact that you can <laughs> the fact that you can put this camera on some sort of a tripod and frame yourself, right, in the mm-hmm. picture and that that uh front I don't forget which facing side, but the side where you have the, you know, the touchscreen. Um yeah. that side you can I mean to do that with a regular uh camera Back in the day, you would have had to have a a bunch of different equipment, right? You would have had to have a camera and a monitor and all that kind of stuff. Now -hmm. you can just do it with the phone. So that side of it is taken care of. And then you mentioned a lapel mic. Do you want to talk just for a little bit about, is there any particular one that you would recommend? Because a lot of people, um, you want to just clarify what a lapel mic is real quick for some people who might be like, oh, I can't just talk right into the phone. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, No, you definitely don't want to talk. That's one of the cardinal sins here. (laughs) Uh, A lapel mic is one of those ones you see the news broadcasters wearing. It's just a little black clip on type of a microphone. It either clips on the collar of your shirt or you see it somewhere uh, about the breastbone or breastplate area is about the best placement for that. Really not up at the neck, honestly. Um, And so that actually is just a little corded microphone, very small, very efficient that will plug directly into your camera or plug directly into your phone. And my favorite one right now is one that's about 20 to $40. $40. I think it's a set. And it, this kit will literally carry you from using your phone to if you decide that you want to get a camera and like the whole shebang, you still can use the same setup and for interviews. It's by a company called like Yellow Way or something like that. And it's a, a dual microphone setup. So you can have two lapels, all the adapters you can ever think of or need or even know what they do yet. <laughs> but it's something that sets you up properly right now. So even if you want to do interviews, both you and the other talent can have a microphone. You sound amazing and it can hook into your phone and they literally give you everything you need in one very small package. Cool. And we will get the actual thing in the show notes just in case it's not called Yellowway. Is it called Yellowway or you're not 100% sure if that's what it's called? Yeah, that's the brand name. Oh, it is Yellowway. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it's just a Yellowway lapel mic. Is that, that's all there is to it? It should be listed under like dual interview setup, but that's what Got it's it. called. It's nothing more. Okay, cool. So um, what about lights? Lights. Right now, I would definitely say go for LED lights, those really thin light panels, because surprisingly, you can get the stands for about 7 to $9 and you can get a light kit whether it can run off batteries so you can move about the office or your home and have a lot of flexibility. But the reason why you want to use LED light panels and not softbox lights or umbrella lights is because most people, especially right now during this coronavirus pandemic thing, is that you're in small spaces or you're having to move around and be kind of flexible. And I think it's important to have versatility in the equipment because you want a dedicated tool to do a dedicated job but still have flexibility. LED light panels will do that for you. I love the company Viltrox that makes one because they have a $20 LED light panel. 
It's bicolored, so you can have warm temperatures like you would find in your living room. Lighting kind of set up the technical term for that is called tungsten. Or, as you see in most YouTube videos, a daylight temperature light bulb, which is really that white light, very clean, very crisp. So if you're showcasing something or you're just wanting that light on yourself, you're going to look really great, really sharp, and it's $20. <laughs> what was the name of that brand again? Viltrox, V-I-L-T-R-O-X. Perfect. Cool. So we've talked about the technical aspects. What's next? So in this record to edit process, the first part is going to be that those technical aspects, those actual things. The second part of that is actually recording. Now, this leads into a four block framework, we'll probably dive into it in a little bit. But we've now got the things that we need to pull this off. Now we need to go into the recording part. Now, it's not going to be as easy to describe audibly as it would be to show. But the part of this process that makes the magic happen is literally you can take tape, you can take markers, you can do whatever you need to. I just usually use a marker on my floor. And as soon as I get it right the first time, like, ah, my head is in the shot, you can see my shoulders, maybe about to your navel or waist or whatever you want to be in the shot, your bookshelf, all of that, I will mark on the floor <laughs> where my tripod is going to sit. I'll note down all of the things like my light should be at 70% brightness and all of the things so that if anything happens, the power goes out and everything resets back to zero. The record to edit process just saved your butt because <laughs> you don't have to rethink what things sh should be set at for them to work so your video stuff can look well. So when it comes time to recording, again, for most people being at home, maybe you're using a part of your house or spare bedroom where you can't leave equipment set up all the time. Or if you have kids running around and you don't want to get things <laughs> broken, <laughs> uh, I would con consider writing down those settings that you use after you've YouTube searched all the things, write down those settings so you know for your space with the equipment that you have, what works and looks best for you. Because as you now sit down to record your content, you need to make it super easy and painless to do all of the things that you need to. So like I said, marking where your tripods go, what percentage of brightness should your light be at? How loud should your microphone? Because if 80% is too loud and you find out that it's hurting people's ears, they're going to leave your videos and it won't matter how great your tips are. So if 67%, that's my specific number. I know my microphone at my desk is always at 67% because that's optimal for my voice. So if anything happens, microphone resets, gets unplugged, doesn't matter. 67% is now part of my record to edit process to make it easier for me to actually record videos. Perfect. What's the next part of the process? So the next part of that would be now skipping over the four block framework a little bit there. Yeah, we're going to get back to that. We're going to zoom in on that framework, but let's talk about the editing process, right? Just a little bit. We'll come back and dig deep onto the, onto that framework if you're cool with that. Oh yeah, sure. So the part of that framework actually leads into this third and final piece of this record to edit process. And that's the editing because it doesn't matter if you just record only and you never upload. You need to edit this video so that it works. It makes sense. It keeps people on the platform watching your videos and makes your videos actually work. So how you record your videos, going to be showing you uh, how to record it in such a way that when you edit them, it is painless. So the only thing now, because everything is the same every time you get ready to do a video, the lights are always the same. They look great. The sound is always good. You sound crisp. And, you know, you, you sound amazing. So now when you get ready to edit, even if you know nothing about nothing with editing, 
the only things that you should be chopping off now are the front parts when you were drinking water or the end parts where you're actually just now looking back at your note to either move on to the next tip or end the video or something like that. So you're just shaving off the front parts and the end parts of these four blocks so that you can actually move on, put the video together like layers of cake or, or you know layers in a recipe to a cake. So now when you're uploading, you're duplicating this process over and over and over. So you're consistently able to publish videos on a regular basis without it being super hard. So one of the logical questions that comes to my mind is if most of us are going to be beginning this process with our phones, does that mean we should get software for our phones to make the editing process a little more painless? What's your thoughts on that? I think that that is specific to the type of person. And even if you're not familiar with video in general, for me personally, I've always hated, I'm just going to be completely honest, I've hated editing on my phone because the screens are small and I wear glasses and I just need more space to breathe. And so I'm more comfortable on a computer. And so, yes, you will need some kind of an editing software. Um, there's all kinds out there. If For my Mac people, you're already good to go because Apple gave you iMovie. So that's going to get you there. And for my PC people, I don't know what to tell you other than I'm sorry that you don't have a Mac. No. <laughs> well, you'll probably have to go with Adobe, right? Because aren't they kind of like the, I mean, it seems to me that Adobe kind of owns the world of video. Is that fair assessment? Editing well, and, and photography and stuff. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I just am biased because I've always been using Adobe <laughs> products, you know? It is. It, it's like, but that's like advanced software. If you really want to get started and you're a PC person, then I'm, I've not always been Mac. I actually recently switched to Mac like within the last two years. The PC software that for beginners now that I would say, and even if this is for your business, it'll still work, is something like Wondershare Filmora that they're super easy to use. And it's very similar to iMovie. There's the one-time fee instead of a subscription fee. So if you find out that you actually don't like uh, investing in videos, whether you go with Adobe or you go with Filmora, not really out of a lot of a, of a huge investment, but I like Filmora better for beginners because it's much easier to figure out where things are so you actually can produce the video. Adobe is professional software and you can use it if you're a beginner. I just think that just reducing that barrier to entry is always right, helpful. Right. You're just getting started. So is this uh, Windows software also available on the Mac or no? Yeah, uh, Filmora is available for both. Would you recommend, if you are a Mac user, just to use iMovie because it comes standard with the Mac? Yes, and it'll do all of the same things that you need. It's not as much flexibility as uh, Filmora, especially because they have other integrations with it, but it's more than enough, more than enough. Perfect. Okay, so let's dig in on the framework. Mm. Talk to us a little bit more about that and what that is. Remind us what that is again, and let's dig in on that. Okay. So again, we're talking about this record to edit process where in three steps, it would be the technical side of things. The second thing would be recording, which is where this four block framework fits. And then the third part is the editing side. But let's zoom in on two here, which is the four block framework. Now, this is so that when you record, you're recording your videos in such a way that by the time you get to the step three of editing, this you're taking those literal literally four blocks or four segments of video into your editing software so that you can start editing that but to actually dive into the recording side of things it's going to include a few elements so four blocks are the four elements of the framework the first part like block number one would be the hook the intro if you ever think of infomercials it's the whole 
<laughs> are you sick of your Tupperware falling out of the cabinet and super dramatic? But it's the intro that makes you stay for the other two minutes versus go ahead and changing the channel. So you're hooking your videos on YouTube, have to do the same things. And this is, but it's not a long time. It's like five to eight seconds. What are you saying that's really making people know, are they in the right place? Are you in the wrong place? And you should leave because you definitely want that. And if you are in the right place, what are you going to be showing and sharing in this video that's compelling me to watch it? Okay, so just out of curiosity, why do you call these things blocks? I'm just curious. Is there some sort of rationale behind calling them blocks? Is it because they build on each other? Not really. It's because it's literally like four segments of video. Most people prefer to start and stop recording uh, when they're doing videos because maybe they mess up or they want to get up. So this gives you flexibility with that uh -huh. um, or something happens. So you're literally having four little videos that you're going to take over. So it's just literally like four little blocks of video. Uh, got it. So if you have a hook, do you recommend like writing something out on a piece of paper and then just recording like different variations of it? Because like anybody who's ever done any video, which Diana and I have, there's so many ways you can say something like, for example, today you're going to learn all about video creation, right? That's one way. Or you could say, today you're going to learn all about video creation. You see how I put the emphasis in different parts of it, right? And it's mm -hmm. not an ideal hook, of course, but I would imagine you probably recommend a couple different takes um, and then you pick your favorite or do you just go for it? I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. So along with the one that has the most energy, I always go for the one that is most compelling. I don't use really a script, but the hook is like the most important part of the video. And I will script this out if I have to, because it is that important. You literally have seconds to capture somebody's attention. And if you miss something or it is fluff in the beginning, like, hey, my name is such and such, and I'm going to be teaching you about like you've like so already lost some people right. because they don't care. And so this is the harsh thing about it. Uh, in the hook area is that like you have to assume the viewer at this point, they do not care. They don't care who you are or what they only care. Can you solve my problem? And that's the main thing to convey. So do you want to say like struggling with X today, we're going to help you solve it. I mean, is that kind of what we're talking about? Something along those lines? Yeah, you definitely want to start off if you are and like fill in the blank. So if you're a new entrepreneur and you're sick and tired of always messing up in your videos. In today's video, I'm going to be showing you my four block framework so you never have to re-record a video a second time. That's Perfect. compelling to somebody that is having these problems. Like I always want to speak to the pain point that that person is experienced. And it's not like suffering from chronic headaches. Like, like, But what is the thing that's annoying them that they're constantly dealing with that your video is going to help them solve? Because just like being an entrepreneur, we're constantly solving problems. Our videos do the same jobs, even if it's a tutorial or exposing them to a product or something like that. That product solves the pain point. So you could say, are you sick and tired of deodorant stains staining your best shirts? In this video, I'm going to be showing you two things you already have in your home cabinet that's absolutely going to help you remove those so you can go to your business meetings without feeling embar embarrassed. And we're going to be talking about it coming up next. You know how some people say it with extreme excitement and other people yeah. just say it normal? <laughs> like, what advice do you have for our audience that might not feel like they can behave in a way that's like extremely exciting? <laughs> You have to because it's like the the old saying would be the camera adds 10 pounds. Well, <laughs> on YouTube, the camera zaps about 10 to 20 percent of your energy. So you will feel ridiculous when you're <laughs> recording your video. 
So you really want to get excited, like, yeah. hey, in today's video, I mean, like, <laughs> you, you see that stuff, but you're saying mm-hmm. to do it, it really works, even if you don't feel comfortable doing it. You don't have to do it through the entire video, right? <laughs> yeah, you just need to, like, at least get those beginning points, and then you can kind of taper off, because if you start dull, like, our normal talking person-to-person is okay for person-to-person. Right. But in a video, like, because you have seconds, it's like, hey, guys, in today's video, we're going to be jumping. Like, that feels really goofy in person, but... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> on camera, it just comes off as normal. So when you watch it, you'll, you'll probably critique yourself. But when a viewer, the intended viewer sees it, they just see normal. And it's really weird how that happens, but you kind of got to amp it up a little bit. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, cool. So we're learning the language of YouTube here, right? Mm-hmm. So what's the second block? Okay. So first block is the hook. The second block, it's intro slash call to action. Now, I'm going to put a little asterisk on this call to action because we're not actually asking them to actually do something at this point. This is what we're going to consider a seed a seed call to action. So we're leading in them into something. So for example, the intro, hey guys, my name is Diana. Welcome to Entree Woman TV on this channel. I help you simplify the video creation process so you can reach wider, connect deeper with the people that need you the most. In this video, I'm actually going to be diving into some recording techniques that I use to help me save time on recording videos. And I'm actually going to be doing a series about editing. But in this video, just stop, pause right there. I'm making this literally up off the top of my head. Okay. But yep. the seating part of that now is the I'm going to teach you this in this video. I gave you the intro, who I am, what the channel's about, kind of a stuff. That's the intro. Right. The seed call to action that's a part of that is that in this video, we're going to be addressing this pain point that you're having so that we can resolve that. And in a future video, I'm actually like I'm already answering their next logical question before I really answered the current one so that they know. You do not need to go anywhere else other than this channel to solve your problems around this issue. Hmm. So it's a seed call to action so that they're like, ooh, yeah, I do want to know about editing. (laughs) I'm answering it. So just to clarify, the hook comes before this, and that's what Mm -hmm. the video, that's what they're going to discover in the video. The Mm -hmm. intro slash call to action is where you quickly introduce who you are, right? Mm -hmm. And specifically what you're going to talk about in this particular video Mm-hmm. And then you tease something else. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yeah, because you want them to know that you fully understand them. So like the intro is like, again, like maybe it's your company name. Again, maybe it's you. And if it's relevant, any kind of accolades, like I'm a doctor, right? you know, specific to whatever thing that's relevant. We only need to share the most relevant things. Sometimes you honestly don't even need to say your name because a little lower third will be there right. to kind of pop up on screen. So you may not even need to say that. It's just the most important thing. And usually that's about on this channel. I'm helping you to do whatever so that if you like this video already, you need to know like you can subscribe and you'll be well fed here. Interesting. So this call to action, I I would imagine could be a lot of things, right? Like it could even be like planting a seed for my uh, students. I help them blah, mm-hmm. right? Or, you know, whatever it is, right? Like if I was doing this, um, I probably would be wearing my social media marketing world shirt, which would be a Mm -hmm. subliminal call to action almost, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yep. But the idea is to just go ahead and plant a little signal that there's more somehow, either free or paid, 
mm-hmm. that in their mind, they remember not just you as someone who's providing interesting content, but someone who can do so much more for them. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Absolutely. Because most viewers, if they're new to you, they're questioning, is this a one-off thing? Mm-hmm. Like you made a great meal for me one time, but I'm going to get hungry again. Is there a restaurant to come back to or mm. am I just stuck? Okay, cool. I would imagine most people don't do what you just talked about. Most people just do an intro. This is who I am. And they move right on to the content. Is that fair? Oh, yeah. What's the downside to skipping this call to action? You're not addressing a concern that they, even though they haven't verbalized yet, it's still a concern. Um, Imagine searching for something like a chronic headache and you're really trying to find uh, a problem. Like this is something you're long term going to have to continuously deal with. How much more frustrating is that to you that you found one amazing video, but you can't find answers to anything else and you really wish that that person dove more into it or told you like, I have a whole series on chronic headaches and how to deal with that naturally um, already here. And you'd be like, oh, yes, you want to be, it's a point of relief. What about like what we do on some of our videos is we have a little bonus, something to get them to stick to the end of the video. Would that also be relevant or is that something totally different? Yeah, because it's letting them know, one, you're getting them to the end of the video, but you're also letting them know, like if there's something more to it, even if it's a downloadable, it's still like I can help you further beyond this video. Right. So a lot of times in our videos and we'll say, if you stick around to the end, I've got a bonus tip that you'll love or mm-hmm. something like that. Right. So, yep. which gives them reason to stick through the video. So if we're spending five to eight seconds on the hook, how long are we spending on this intro slash call to action? The intro slash call to action is really only about 10 to 15 seconds got it. Um, because you're, you're getting to the point. So now we're closing in around 20 to 30 seconds um, at the beginning of the video, depending on, um, and again, the intro could be a pre-roll thing where it's a video kind of a deal that's already sharing your name, channel, and what it's about in text form. It's just not verbalized. Even that needs to be five, seven seconds max. So if your portion of the seating of in today's video, we're talking about X, and I actually have a whole series on chronic headaches, you know, X, Y, and Z, but in today we're diving into this, mm-hmm. that second still is only a couple seconds. So we're now at about 20 between 20 and 30 seconds into your video before we get into block three, which is going to be that core content. Quick question. I've seen on some channels where they have pretty much the same pre-recorded intro slash call to action, and they just use it for all of their videos. Do you recommend Mm -hmm. that? Is that more of an advanced technique? Or for for the beginners, you just recommend that they just kind of wing it until they get it down to a pretty good process, and then maybe they just decide to use that over and over again? It depends on the relevancy because there are times, honestly, um, I may not include it in a video depending on like the kind of like the urgency of the video. Right. Because sometimes it's like anything that is a delay in the video is a detractor sometimes. Mm-hmm. And and if it gets to be too much annoying, no purpose other than to fulfill your own need to put something there, it's like, is it really valuable to the other person? So my bumper intro that says Entree Woman TV um, moving your vision forward using video, it's literally two seconds. It transitions in and it leaves and then it's me right back on camera. So it's really not that important. That's something that's more important to us. It's not like an advanced thing. As the creator, we care about that. The viewer really don't care about that. Yeah, even on Social Media Examiner, I think ours is like two and a half seconds and it just shows mm-hmm. our logo and a little slogan. So, yep. all right, we so we've talked about the hook. We've talked about this intro slash call to action. Now, what's the third block? 
The third block is the like one of the best parts outside of the hook because at least for me personally, because this is your core content. Your core content now is the meat and potatoes of the solving the problem that you introduced um, or that you said that you were going to solve when you introduced this video in the hook in block number one. So block three is getting into the tips, the actual tutorial and those specific things. And by about, again, 40 seconds max, if for whatever reason, like we need to be diving, like within 30 to 40 seconds, we need to be in core content. So this is where a lot of people don't know where to go, what to do. You want to give any wisdom as far as like range of possibilities for the core of the video? Oh, yeah. If you are in education or teaching, um, not education like being a teacher, but if you're into like what I do, I'm teaching you about video kind of stuff. Or you're maybe you're teaching somebody about Facebook ads or you're teaching them how to set up uh their office design, whatever it may be, I like to do three tips. Um, whether you are familiar or not with it, or most people are, it's like psychologically, we care about odd number things more than we do even number things. Hmm. I would keep this very simple unless the video warrants it for some reason. I really try not to go over five to maybe seven. And if it's seven things, I'm talking about seconds. It's more of a listicle in video form. I'm like talking seconds on point number one, two, three, but if it's an actual tips and a tutorial education piece, three tips is usually the, the go-to. So I can't tell you the times of how long this can, should be, but I think your video should be as long as it needs to be and no longer. Most people try to add in fluff. So remove as much fluff as possible. And this may hurt your feelings when you're editing because you feel like you said something that was really great. You only need the things that are most valuable to the viewer. Now, YouTube has given us some signals recently. It used to be that um, you could qualify for mid-roll ads if your video was longer than 10 minutes. Now it's longer than eight minutes, which kind of indirectly, in my opinion, sends a signal that YouTube is looking for videos that are slightly longer. Um, and I have seen that, I don't know if you've seen this, but some of our most popular videos tend to be right around 10 minutes. But I don't feel like anybody has to try to go there, but have you found also that some of your videos that are slightly longer and people that are on Facebook would be like, whoa, 10 minutes is pretty long, but on YouTube, it's not that long. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh yeah. So like the way people engage with content on YouTube is very different than Facebook because on Facebook, it, it literally be like, you got to think of how fast we even scroll on our timelines. You got seconds. <laughs> right, right, right. Whereas on YouTube, this is evergreen. People most care about getting their problem solved. Right. They most care about getting an answer to a question. So you can make longer videos and 10, 10 minutes can be about a sweet spot if you're moving into longer form content. But if your video really only needs five to six or even seven minutes and it and like that's it, don't make the video longer just to hit that, that 10 minute mark. So right. I think that's, it's like it, well, one, it ties into another metric that YouTube loves and that's audience retention. How long are you retaining someone to actually watch this video? And they literally will show you when people left. Yeah, and the goal is 50%, right? Like if you can get, mm -hmm. this is what I've heard YouTube say, right? If 50% mm. is amazing, I forget what it is, but if the average video view is 50, they're getting to the 50% mark, that's considered really good by YouTube standards. Does that match up with what you've heard? Absolutely, and even for my own results because when you're looking at those seconds and these parts of the block in a real video, 
those retention graphs will absolutely show you. If you're halfway through your video and, you know, you put it at for a 10 minute video, you put it at that five minute mark, but it's kind of fluffy and just not getting to the point. People have left. If you're down at like 39 percent, it's just like, oh, man, there's no way I make it these other five minutes. Exactly. OK, cool. So um, moral of the story is you could do whatever you want in the core content, but this is going to be the beefy part of the video. Mm-hmm. Right. So whether it's a four minute video or a 15 minute video, I mean, the core content is whatever you choose. And you found and we found as well that if you say, like, break it into sections, right, like mm-hmm. we're going to do three things on this or four things on this or five things on this, that tends to work really well. Right. Absolutely. Because you need to give breathing points visually and audibly cool. when you're going, somebody's going through. So like the tip number one, like letting them know it's three tips here. Right. It's like tip number one, like I can pace along with you. Tip number two tip, like we're good to go. But if it's like, I'm going to be telling you my whole life story and the 25 <laughs> things I've learned, it's just like, oh Lord. <laughs> right. Most people won't, won't uh, yeah, stick that out. All right, cool. Yeah. What's the last block? Block number four is your is the end of the video and it's your call to action. And this is like the big fireworks or the big explosion at the end of the fireworks show. Talk to us a little bit more. What do you recommend we do there? So this one starts to get tricky. This is another area where if you're new to videos, you'd never have an idea about this. But if you're seasoned in it, then it starts to make sense as you start to want to lead people into the next video that they should be watching, as well as retaining them to the end. The end is really not the end. It's the transition to the next logical question that you seeded for. It's like one of those Netflix shows, right? And it yep. Keep- <laughs> yep. That's how they get you. That's <laughs> So keep that's going on that. Yeah, keep going on that. But that's the thing, though. It's like Netflix. So if we stick with that example, Netflix knows you want to go to like the end of the episode. Right. They didn't just say, thanks for watching all of these millions of dollars we put together. See you later. Go ahead and go to Hulu. Absolutely not. We're going to queue up the next video. And in the next episode, we're covering blah, blah, blah. Show you a little bit of the title, a good thumbnail, something like that. So the end of your video. So if we're talking about natural ways to deal with chronic headaches or how to set up Facebook ads, you may know that they are already confused about the platform. They started searching how to set up Facebook ads, but they really don't know that back office in for the studio and how it looks. So you can say in the end, technically this, yes, is the end of this video, but it's not the end of them learning or end of them being with you. So don't just let them leave like, hey, thanks for watching. Click the next video or thanks for watching. Download my free thing. We don't want to do that. We really want to end our video transitioning them into their next logical question being that next video that they should watch by now taking that seed that we planted earlier and letting them know. So if you have been confused, now this is the end of the video. If you have been confused about how to set up Facebook ads because the studio is confusing, in the next video, we're going to be diving into how to understand the studio, what segments that you want to do when it comes to setting up your audience or X, Y, and Z, right? And that is part of, it can be the call to action, or you can do something separate. Like I actually set up a free guide that gives you the 10 things that you need to do when you first go into the Facebook studio so you can set it up properly. They want all of those things. Yeah. And this is really important because they're invested by the time they get to the end of the video. And um, a lot of statistics uh, on YouTube show that YouTube is going to try to get them 
to watch other videos anyways, right? They're going to show a whole bunch of videos off to the side. So if you don't do this, they're going to do it for you, but it's probably not going to be your videos, right? So you may as well just like think it through, right? So this means that when you go record to edit, you might want to be having a couple of them in the pipe or in the plan so that you can bang them out or at least know what's coming next so that when you do this end call to action that you've got some sort of a plan. Am I right? Yeah. So when you're sitting down, this is another pro tip, if you will, when it comes to recording videos, don't record one video at a time. Like, okay, once a month, I'm recording one video. Once a month, you should at least record four videos in one sitting. You take this framework, you outline because you know your core content. So the only thing you're really spending a lot of time on is the hook, making sure it's meaty enough. It's like you can even make those 10 to 15 seconds if you're doing longer form content. And it's going to be rich enough to really let them know, like, we are diving deep in this one. And so if you're considering really making a great and amazing video, go ahead and record those in just blocks, if you will, or just like set aside an hour or two, record four videos at a time. So, you know, if I'm teaching you about the studio, well, what's the next video I'm probably about to record in the sitting? It's about how to use the studio thing. And if the next one after that is about how to use the free guide or template that I set up, it's about how to use the template. So now these videos make sense. One is coming right after the other. And like your strategy on YouTube is working on paper. It absolutely will work when you upload those videos. Diana Gladney, this has been amazing. I could go on for a long, long, long time with you. We're going to let you tell everybody where they can (laughs) check you out. If they want to find out all the amazing things you're doing, where do you want to send them? I would absolutely say, since we're uh, talking about YouTube, go to YouTube and you can search my name or my channel, which is Entree Woman TV. It's like E-N-T-R-E, Woman TV. And you can find out more if you're trying to learn to create videos. And then, of course, dianagladney.com. On behalf of all my listeners, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and insights. This was really, really awesome. Thank you, Diana. Oh, my pleasure. Again, such an honor, Michael. Thank you so much for having me. By the way, if there was anything we mentioned in the show, like some of that tech and equipment and you didn't catch it all, simply visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash 424. That stands for episode 424. And you'll find everything you need there. And if you're new to the show, hit that subscribe button. And if you've been a longtime listener... Would you let your friends know about this show? I'm at Stelzner on Instagram. This brings us to the end of another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.